Before we start, I want to say thank you so much to Hilal, or otherwise known as the Lebanese Mafia, for coming up with the concept of this episode, for getting us all together, and then for Omar for hosting us, all of us, for recording the episode. Yes, thank you very much to both of you. Thank you again. Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. And Ali. And Ahmed. Nadia. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi American. I'm a lesbian. I'm bi-trans Lebanese. Oh, hi. Uh, queer Lebanese person. <laughs> I guess queer Arab American gay person and uh, the host of the Arabic side of the Queer Arab Podcast. Today we're really excited to be talking to Emma Gration, hey. who's visiting. Um, Emma, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, guys. It's so nice to finally meet you guys. What brought you to New York? Like, what made you decide to come to New York? Okay, so it's basically my second time in New York. I've been here two years ago, and I'm uh, here for uh, Pride, uh, obviously. I'm going to be marching in the parade on tomorrow, on Sunday. And it was only possible because the organization I work with, which is AFE, which stands for the Air Foundation for Freedom and Equality, made this possible. They funded my trip. And yeah, I'm excited to, to be here and represent Lebanon in queer Arab power. Awesome. So are you the only drag queen from Lebanon coming over during this? Or do you know of others who are in here like for, the, for World Pride events? I mean, I, as far as I know, I don't want to misspeak, but I'm probably the only queen coming from Beirut. I don't know if there are, there, there are probably some Lebanese queens who are New York based, but as far as I know, I'm the only Lebanese queen who came all the way from Beirut to be in Pride. Nice. Um, can you talk about the drag scene in Beirut right now? Like, what's it like? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> okay. Three days. <laughs> okay, so basically just a run through of... I'm going to talk. I'm gonna be talking about the modern drag uh, history because, uh, of course, in Arab culture and in Arab history, there has been a queer movement and th- like a movement that some would call drag. But the mainstream kind of take on drag where you do shows, tips, uh, lip syncs, comedy, whatever, it's been going on for like around seven to eight years and it basically started and i and i have the like i have i'm proud to be to be where it all started so it basically started with two queens their names were anya knees who is from uh new york uh who's lebanese but was living in new york and my drag mother uh evira Kadavra. So they basically started an opening of a club called Eagle. That's where it all started, and they were booked by the owner. And what's funny is, back then, drag race didn't really take off. The, con- the concept of drag wasn't really popular in Lebanon, let alone the entire world. So it was funny, when they came out, they weren't met with a great reaction, and it was mostly queer LGBT people. And they were all like 
shrugging and like they were like well, what the fuck is the can i cur- can i curse am, am i gonna be bleeped <laughs> yeah and especially because they are like they're hairy queens and mustached and bearded queens and whatever the, it wasn't really received well but they never gave up and i found my strength through them they were like kind of my very close friends and I was there like holding their bags and just like taking care of whatever they needed, getting them drinks, holding their wigs back when they were throwing up. <laughs> no shade. <laughs> yeah, no shade. <laughs> uh, and slowly I was at the same time, I was just like still at my parents' house. I was still in high school but, uh, back then. And I was just like kind of experimenting with makeup. I was like, I was just curious to see, oh, how would I look like if I contoured and highlighted my face? Would I like look more chiseled or whatever? And that slowly tra- like moved on to be painting my eyes with watercolors and like makeup from my mom's stash, which my mom doesn't wear a lot of makeup and most of the shit was expired. Um, and yeah, it started, started with that. And then a big point was when I moved to Beirut, because I'm originally from a town called Saida, which is south, uh, south of Lebanon. When I moved to Beirut for uh, uni, uh, I was living on my own with uh, another gay friend of mine. And that's when I started investing in like... Pause. Pause. We took a quick pause while people arrived. As I was saying, when uh, the the breaking point of when I started doing drag was when I moved to Beirut to go to uni, and that's when I started. Like my drag mother was always say, uh, "I'm like, put me in drag, put me in drag, put me in drag." She's like, "Well, learn how to cover your eyebrows first, invest in some makeup, blah blah blah." And then I started going to the dollar store right next to my house and just like buying the most random, basic, bad shit makeup and just like smearing it all over my face trying to explore how, ca- how I can change my features with makeup and as I was doing that it, was, it would always be in the bathroom just take it, putting it on sending a couple of snapchats to Anya and Evita and just taking it off no one would see and then the first time I was out of the house in drag was Halloween of 2016 maybe yeah it's, uh, it's the uh, Halloween's basically the drag queen birthday like it's either that or pride so that was my first time out of the house in drag and it was so scary it was so fucking scary I remember like my teeth were I was stuttering I was shaking I was like I could barely walk and then I had a couple of shots and the night went well and then later the next year I was and it was this huge party it was like 700 people in this huge venue and whatever and then the next year for Halloween I was booked to headline that venue so I I was like trying to make my way into the whole Jack persona and everything and the time between the two Halloweens I was I was starting to make a name for myself starting to perform more starting to get out of the house and drag more and that's how Emma became Emma and the funny story is I wasn't always called Emigration. My first drag name was Panajar, which I don't know, like I expected, I didn't expect anyone to laugh because Panajar is like a pun in itself because in Lebanon we have Ben Najar, which means a coffee yeah. with, the, with the brand Najar. So Pan Ben Najar. Anyway, so I had to change it because when I came to New York and the person who was announcing me to come out, they were like, now nah, welcome to the stage, Panajar. <laughs> So I'm like, if I want to go international and make the big money or whatever, I need to change my name and do something that I can relate more to. I was basically studying political science at uh, LAU in Beirut. And the thing is, growing up in Beirut and Lebanon and whatever, everyone's always leaving. Everyone's like, they're always leaving or always planning to leave. 
So like emigration, everyone wants to emigrate, blah, blah, blah. And it's bittersweet, it's funny, but it's sad. So that's how, I, that's how drag happened with me. So you mentioned like your drag mother and the other drag queen that kind of inspired you. I always think of Basim Vrali when I think of, and I personally was introduced to Basim Vrali before I even know what drag queens were, because we see Basim Vrali like all over the Arab world. He's there on TV doing all sorts of things. Then I learned about like RuPaul and all of that. So was he like, an inspiration or is he does he do a different type of drag that you don't do basically of course Basim Ghali is one of the best not even Lebanese drag queens he's one of the best drag queens I've ever seen like the things that he used to do on stage like changing into seven eight characters in like 10 minutes it's crazy I've never seen anyone do that but the thing is with Basim Ghali he once did an interview and I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure that he said he's not a drag queen he he's a performer he's a female impersonator and that's what he does like he doesn't identify with the term drag queen and when I was talking about drag and Beirut, I was basically just talking about the going to a club, going to a basically a bar, doing the gig, doing the like the talking on the microphone. Just the if you want the traditional sense of drag, not like going on a TV and impersonating these characters and making like a comedy skit. He's a he's a fucking genius. He's like everyone respects him. Some queens had the honor to work with him. I haven't yet, and I'm very bitter about it. But yeah, he's he's great. And yeah, he, everyone I think aspires to be at that level of professionalism. And like he was so he's so well put together, and he's so funny. He's so witty. Like the puns that he used to make, the references that he used to make are so on point. And they, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into something else, not really drag related, but like in the LGBT community in Beirut, and it spread a bit into the Arab world. Our slang and our, the way we talk is mostly based off of what Basim Ghali used to do in his skits. So he's a huge inspiration, not just for Jacqueline's, for like a lot of people in the community in Beirut. My parents would watch him and I don't think they had any idea, like, this is drag. It's like, oh, wait, it's impersonation. Yeah. And it just kind of yeah. slips he was, under. He was, he, was able, he was able to make people laugh with him, not at him. Because he wasn't, he wasn't basically making a fool of himself on stage. He knew what he was saying. He knew his message. And like when, you, when, you were, when we would watch the Lebanese Mirax Door, the, or like of the Lebanese Oscars or whatever, he'd be making fun of celebrities to their face and like calling this, this singer a slut and calling that the whatever. And they'd be laughing because it was so well done and so smart, you could not but enjoy him. So yeah, he was, he was a phenomenal and still is. But do you feel like their uh, decision not to identify as drag king was also political? Like because drag is too associated with the LGBTQ? Okay, so the thing is drag in itself, like the, the concept of being in drag is, and especially in a country like Lebanon where like homosexuality is still frowned upon, it is political in itself, but to be completely honest, in Beirut, we don't do a lot of political statement drag. I try to, a lot of queens try to kind of let it seep in, but for us to do drag in Beirut, there are a lot of restrictions, and it's not limiting our freedom, no, it's just basically protecting our freedom. So for example, there's an understanding between all the queens and the venues and whatever, uh, some ground rules that we agreed upon, uh, upon like uh, no references to religion, no political messages, no nudity, uh, a lot of stuff that are too controversial. We opt not to do them, not because we're scared or whatever, but for the safety of us and the venue and the people who are attending. So we're basically slowly but surely growing, but we can't just explode on the scene. We can, we can do it slowly, because in a country like Lebanon, if the LGBT movement since the year 2000 proved anything, is you can have small successes, but slowly, because you can't 
basically shove it in people's faces and be like, we're here, we're queer. It won't work in Lebanon, or at least I wish it would, but it, it doesn't. So we try to be political in the way we spread the message of drag and tolerance and acceptance with our straight friends or whatever. And the crowds at the shows that we do are always very different. It's not like the same people coming to watch the same queens. It's usually sometimes the most unexpected people would come to watch because their friends dragged them to come. So yeah, I mean, there is some political messaging, but not like fight the power fuck blah 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 you know it's mostly subtle so do you perform it at like queer bars or do you perform at like any bar that would book you like where do you get booked usually so basically it first started off with mostly queer establishments clubs bars whatever but in the past year or two regardless of their intentions i don't want to get too political and too like Uh, complicated but regardless of their intentions the mainstream clubs in Lebanon and the let's say straight establishments uh, they've taken notice of the drag scene and the queer uh, movement like the vogue the voguing uh, dancers and the yeah yeah yeah, we could definitely talk about voguing later Uh, they took notice and they saw that just like in any country not to generalize and not to stereotype but we can always see this trend of where queer people go a lot of people will follow because we're always like in the now, we know what's popping, we know what's hot, whatever. So they took notice and now a lot of non-queer establishments are asking us to go perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most recently there was uh, a huge club called AHM, A-H-M, that had like come to love night, uh, kind of uh, commercial with drag queens and vulgars and queer people and all of that. So I have my own set of opinions about that, but it's happening. So it grew from being only queer places where we could perform to major clubs. It's not about like I, it's I'm, I don't care if I get in trouble for it like but uh, at some point there's a lot of hypocrisy where you'd be kicked out of a club two years ago for holding a a guy's hand and now they're using drag queens to promote like uh, the to, to to promote their their uh, parties. So, I mean, I'm all for second chances and like giving people uh, the benefit of the doubt and whatever. So I might, I might surprise everyone and just go, go to one of these nights. So when performing in the straight clubs and more mainstream clubs, do you feel like a need to tone, it down, tone down the gayness or censor yourself? Okay, something that I forgot to mention, I, have, I personally haven't performed in a straight club yet. So revised question, do you feel like people who do perform in straight venues uh, have to tone down the gayness for those venues? The thing is, uh, our, our gigs and our performances are usually if... Sometimes it's basically go on stage, do whatever you want. Uh-huh. But other times it's basically we, we have this theme, what do you think about performing this number and that number and uh, tailoring it to what the club wants or the specific theme of the night. So it differs, but no, I don't think... like Every, every queen in Lebanon, at least my group of friends of the queens, they're at a place and time now that are very aware of their persona, they wouldn't tailor it to fit other places. It's like, this is me, take it or leave it, you know? But do you also feel that maybe that, that these clubs are also just exploiting the queer community without giving anything back? First and foremost, a lot of queens perform for exposure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to say it myself. I'm a fucking egomaniac. I, I'm, I do this for the attention. Uh, <laughs> So that's, that's what we're getting back first. Second is the Instagram followers. Uh, third is actually, yeah. Excuse me while I Yeah. 
Third is, I've been having this conversation all week with a lot of people. The thing with Beirut and drag, it's way different than here. It's basically every drag performance is an event. It's like, it's way over the top. It's crazy. It's like, it takes two or three months of preparations. And we do one performance a month or one performance every two months and we're like exhausted for a year. And then you come here and you see all of these, which major respect to these queens who have like nine to five jobs. And then they go every single night and be in drag and heels and corsets and whatever. And that's major respect. But what we do, what we do in Beirut, it's mostly... Um, so let's say, let's say you book a venue. You book it like in two, three months in advance. And that's, you start preparing for the show and you start preparing for an outfit. And it's way over th the top. So you won't see like a queen with like, which all due respect, you won't see a queen in like jeans and a crop top. No, it's usually always like the uh, over the top outfits and something that was months and months in preparation. So more like high queen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we don't we don't get to do it that often. Whenever we do get to do it, we always like step it up. And because of the, I'm not gonna say like fucked up, but fucked up Lebanese mentality. We always want to outdo each other. <laughs> and if, and if anyone's been to a Lebanese wedding, you can see that like like in Lebanese weddings, the the bigger the better. The like the, if, if the if the bride is hanging from like a crane, that's <laughs> that's amazing. And that. That kind of culture seeps into our drag, so... I am suddenly very bitter about all those weddings I wasn't invited to. Yeah, no, you're not missing out. You're not missing out, trust me. So that kind of culture seeps into drag as well, because we were brought up very Lebanese, most of us. It's very, very... It became super competitive, in, in a good way. Like, we were always pushing one another to do better and better and better. And you could see from a year to... Like, from a year... From one year to another, how much each person has grown. Like, you could go on my Instagram... Please do, follow me. I'm got to go. Uh, you, you could go on my Instagram and, like, scroll down and see the evolution of, like, I used to do just, like, a cute liner with a cute lip, and, like, I'm, like fishy as fuck and now like I have seven pairs of lashes on each eye <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, it's beautiful to see like the evolution of, uh, of all the queens and how they grew into their like and came into their personas we took another short break refilled the arak those important things yeah, I've been like following Hoodie Saad's Instagram for a while um, and I'm just like really interested in voguing wherever and I'm also noticing that it's like catching on in commercial dance studios in Lebanon at the same time which is interesting because it's like on a different timeline than that happened at the in the U.S. like as opposed to it being like an underground queer centric practice for a while and then eventually it gets commercialized like in the last 10 years or so um, versus like as far as I know in Lebanon from what I've heard and just like Instagram it seems to be like happening within the queer community and like within commercial dance at the same time. Which is interesting. I don't know if you have thoughts about that. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> so during the break, Emma ended up calling Hodi Saad, the voguer, and Nadia got to ask Hodi some questions. Uh, okay, introduce myself. So I'm Hodi Saad. I'm uh, a voguing dancer and a club kid from Lebanon. I'm also a veterinary doctor that graduated this year. And, uh, one of the organizers of the Beirut Grand Ball and or most of the drag balls uh, in Beirut. Sweet. Um, me. Thanks for calling in. I was just saying that I follow your Instagram and I think you're great. Um, I was also Thank asking you. about um, kind of 
the way voguing is developing and catching on in Lebanon, how it's, from my understanding, it's like catching on both like in the underground, like queer scene and mm-hmm. in commercial dance kind of simultaneously, yeah. uh, which is, I guess, like a different timeline from how it's gone in the U.S. Um, and if you have like thoughts and opinions about that, or if you just want to talk about, um, yeah, anything. Uh, so you want me to talk about how it all started here and how basically how is it growing and where is it going now? Totally, yeah. Yeah, so basically around seven years ago, I was introduced to voguing through like a random YouTube video. And I was hooked to voguing and basically I was into drag as well. But uh, I took voguing very serious. I really felt like uh, it was the only style of dance that, that I can relate to. And it all started with uh, uh, me practicing all by, by myself and through uh, watching like mainly YouTube videos and so on. And the whole scene didn't take me uh, seriously at first because it was very new. It wasn't known or popular here until I started working with like uh, some of really known artists in Beirut where uh, they showed interest in voguing and people started taking it more serious in the scene. Two years ago, or a year and a half ago, uh, November 2017, uh, we decided to do our first mini ball. And we had like a small uh, mini category, which was the voguing category. But basically, it was a drag ball. And there was some interest in it. But, you know, the more the mainstream is more into drag at this point, not voguing, especially here in, in, in Lebanon. But I keep pushing voguing uh, more and more. So now we have like around 15 voguers in Beirut. Oh, nice. uh, most of them are really good. And now we're having our first Vogue ball, which is tomorrow. So we have like the main act is voguing. And there's a lot of interest from artists in Lebanon, uh, especially those who want to stand out. Basically, artists use it for that purpose and not more like... You rarely see someone who is interested in the culture and the background of voguing. They basically like uh, the attention they might get or that it is something very new for them. So, uh, But there, it is, it is, there are a lot of artists showing interest in it. And this is bringing us more popularity in Beirut and in Lebanon, which is good for us because uh, we're being more visible at some point. But we have to, in, in one way or the other, to uh, keep educating people about the culture and the background so that we don't lose what it's all about so basically this is that's all for voguing at this point we have like weekly classes have a lot of stu- i have a lot of students actually uh, which is like great like uh students from 10 10 11 years of age to like 30 40 yes. years of age so uh yeah it's just great actually that we have this much interest at this point and hopefully we can uh grow more and more um that's like that's amazing uh do you feel like when you're teaching in more mainstream dance studios that there's like any interest or opportunity to educate on like the history and community of voguing or is it more just like people are interested in it as just like an aesthetic style that they've seen in some video or something like that basically most of my students attend the class because they love voguing like they've been into this they watch uh maybe they've seen it uh, in certain videos or they attended the ball or whatever uh but some of them are like you said uh maybe they just like the style or they were introduced recently to it and they just like the dance itself but i make sure that i educate them about the history and let them know what it's all about like i i they have to know what is voguing and who are like the pioneers and like, that everything has that goes within like the, the vogue community i won't accept just teaching and having someone who know nothing about the dance style itself 
So whether if someone who's interested or uh, someone who knows about it or not, by the end of the class, they all know uh, one or one thing or two about voguing. Of course, that's that's great. Yeah. Great. Now back to me. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so You're much. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Here. That was really cool. So, how are you feeling after not being in Beirut for a little bit? I'm only here for the week. It's not like it's barely any time. But a lot of people think I'm crazy when I say this, especially my Lebanese friends. I'm very, very attached to Lebanon, like very attached. Not because of friends and family or whatever. I'm attached to it on a deeper level for some weird reason. And it's not a love-hate re relationship. It's a love relationship. Like, I don't hate anything. I know it, it sounds like, it sounds very idealistic and very like tra-la-la-la-la. But no, I like, I love all the bad things about it. And I've had several opportunities to leave, not for like asylum or anything. It's mostly like, like when I finished with high school, I, have, I had a full paid scholarship to go study in Turkey and like continue in Turkey and whatever. I'm like, fuck no, whatever. And several other opportunities through friends and whatever, they're like, yeah, we can help you out. We can, you can leave, we can, you could seek asylum, all of these things. And I'm like, no, I'd, I'd never want to leave. And mostly because it's funny, uh, I, don't, I don't travel that, that often. And uh, the first time I was in New York was two years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I'm finally going to New York. I've been dreaming about this since I was a little kid. And I find out while I was in New York that all of a sudden the first ever Beirut Pride is happening the second I leave. And I literally, I can, I can remember I was in a hotel room, literally on my phone, bawling. I'm like, this is not fair. This is the first time, this is the first time in so long that I leave Lebanon and this is happening. So I always projected to the future. I'm like, if I leave and something like this happens or like if something bad happens or like we have a victory within the LGBT community, I'm like, I want to be there to celebrate it. So, yeah, I mean, I love it here and I'm having so much fun. But yeah, I can't wait to go back. Hello. Um, yeah, he's here. This, it's your mom. In case you all didn't hear, Hilal just handed Emma the phone and was like, it's your mom, but it's, it's the drag mom. Good to hear from you, mother. Emma, are you eating your vegetables? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Yeah, all your vitamins from pies and thighs, okay? Oh, all the Flintstones. He's leaving glitter yeah. everywhere. He hasn't cleaned anything. Oh, I know. She does. She's a mess. But <laughs> I love her anyway. Happy cancer season, Sam. Thanks. I'm being that crazy. No so we're on the phone with Evita Kadavra, my drag mother. Oh, hi. The one who's put up with Hello. me all these years. <laughs> yeah. How has me. it been putting up with Emma? Oh, it's been a, a journey of self-discovery of how far my patience will go that it's been great uh, i love her to death she's my firstborn she's the um she's the first patient because for, for like she's my she's i find patient zero she's patient one um <laughs> i love her a lot and i'm really proud of her thank you she's come a long way thank you any stories that you would like to tell us about emma's childhood yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yalla, yalla. One day I came to her apartment back when she was like in college. She was still studying. And uh, I was like, oh, I, I left my makeup in the car. And she's like, I'll get it. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I'll find your car and I'll get it. So she ran towards my, to, to my car and hummed up uh, to, to get my, the makeup from my car just so I can put her in drag. She was very persistent. That's why I loved her. 
we shared a weird bond of very interesting sort of like music genres and stuff like that and I was like really appreciative that the, the, the sweetness of her got to me yeah. we do yeah. like the same music don't yeah. we you know yeah what, we do you know, don't we bitch you know what I'm talking about you know I know what I mean <laughs> I know you're talking about Shirley Gate <laughs> <laughs> why are you putting our dirty laundry all over the internet I mean and America <laughs> dirty laundry is the best laundry uh, <laughs> I'm gonna love you Sako alright I love you too baby tell, uh, um, you tell your um, Halto to wake up because what? she's sleeping apparently Tell uh, Anya. Anya that she should be awake right now. I know she has a five o'clock oh. shoot tomorrow, but she says hi yeah. to. But no excuses. We're gonna be up all night. <laughs> it's so 11 and Lebanon. Next shoot. Yeah, she said I'm sleeping. I have to be up at five. Sleeping is good. I support everyone getting a full <laughs> night of sleep. <laughs> We're pro sleep. Hilal, do you want to ask anything? Oh uh, sure. Well. We have Hilal here, a.k.a. the Lebanese Mafia. Um, so I'm so happy you're here. You have no idea. Um, I remember you coming last year. Of course, you can stay in my house, even though you have glitter everywhere, but it might be my glitter, too. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about gay pride, and I see that you're the face of gay pride here on Shutterstock. Who's Hassan Ammar? Like, he took your picture for editorial use, and he's charging $199 for you to be the... Like, read what it says about you. Drag queen immigration propose, I mean, performs on Sunday, drag show, and the ball. We were talking about all these things. Yeah, and he's I charged... Not, I, did not this, I didn't know this was happening. Wait, what? You're not, you didn't get paid for this? Wait, he's been doing this for a year, May 13th. You didn't take this picture? I did, take, but this was by the uh, Associated Press. Yeah, well, the Associated Press is totally charging $200 well, we'll per... we'll contact them after the podcast. I oh, guess. my God, really? Well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about that. Why are all these bitches in Beirut and, like, everywhere just taking, like, pictures? There is another person who came to my wedding who shall not be named, but he did DJ my wedding, and he took pictures, and then he posted it in a gallery without, like, ta asking me, and I still haven't seen those pictures. I just texted him the other day. I'm like, can I see those pictures? It's been, like, four years. And then another person wrote a scathing review about her experience at my wedding also without <laughs> my consent who shall also not be named like why do people why do people do that why are people taking pictures of like you at a ball and like what do we do about that i mean, like i don't i don't actually i don't actually have the answer for that nadia yeah. and i are wondering why are people why are people reviewing a wedding why are people taking pictures and then charging two hundred dollars without paying? Like, why are why do people feel like they can take you know like you're performing for free a lot? Like, aren't you performing for free like all week and all these other people are taking your pictures and probably and like you don't know what's happening? This, isn't this kind of fucked up? I mean, there's a lot of lawsuits coming their way. I guess I, and need, I need that money. Yeah, seriously, she needs that money and like she's not doing it for. But if you're gonna take you're gonna have to take money, you know from. If you're gonna charge $200 a picture, maybe you should uh, give her some royalties. Um, that's like your face that's out there. And I know that people don't really talk about that, like how much costs it well, goes into God, doing a show. Yeah. Like, thank God you're a, you're a lawyer and you're gonna get my money. Yeah. <laughs> so what, are, what other questions do we have? Okay, so the other questions I have are some from people on the internet. Okay. There's no dumb questions, but here we go. No, it's, it's fine. People. It's fine. <laughs> there, there are dumb people though. One second, we are going to go to Mark, who's working today. What's your process to get ready for a gig, and how long does she take? Okay, that's a very cute question, actually, away from the political side and the serious side. Basically, uh, I used to... Okay, it's going to get political anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, 
No, the funny thing is, um, in Lebanon, due to the security reasons and the obvious homophobia on the streets and whatever, we opt to try to get ready at the venue if the venue is uh, if the venue is equipped because sometimes they'll offer you like a stall in the bathroom or sometimes they'll give you like put you up in the biggest dressing room with ac and like blah 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 ac by the way he always cares about that yeah yeah i sweat a lot so yeah basically it's either we we opt to get ready at the venue but recently my friends and i since we we formed this group of like security for drag queens among our among ourselves we get ready with each other at home and then either I, I drive us in drag to the venue and we're like, fuck it, we don't care. If they, could st if they stop us at a checkpoint, we'll just say we're going to, a, we're going, we have a musical to perform in, we have a theater thingy to perform in. And it's not illegal to be in drag in Lebanon. So that we, we, now, we now get ready at home, we make it a huge kiki, we like get drunk before we start even getting ready. We pass out and then get up to get ready. But usually, it, at first, it usually used to take me around like five hours with cigarette breaks and like snacks and just like maybe jerk off every once in a while. Uh, but Can you explain to the audience what that is? Jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> when you simulate the rectum. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, so no. Uh, but, but now when I was in New York, most recently, it, I broke my record and it took me like... Like, a, like two hours and a half to get ready and yeah I guess it's just time and practice and you just start getting faster and faster and getting ready yeah I have another question from uh, this is from um, Philippe from uh, the Laylit party Wake Island Music um, he's in Montreal so Phil he's coming tomorrow though so hopefully you'll see him but he wanted to this is what he said oh by the way he listens to all the podcasts like, he literally, uh, he has a long commute. So he asks, how do you say shade in Arabic? That's all I really need to know, really. <laughs> okay, so basically the, the translation is, it's, Lebanese, it's not Arabic, it's Lebanese slang. And I'm pretty sure, like, on the topic of what we were talking about before, I'm pretty sure it, it came from Abbasim uh, Vghaliskit. And shade, or, like, throwing shade is shakhr. Basically, or anything like that. So, shakharit means kind of like... Is it the word for yawning, or am I thinking of something else? It's kind of, it's, it's kind yeah. of the same yeah. sound. Oh, okay. But yeah, shakh, that's, that's what we use. Yeah. Which is, in a way, like saying, oh, so boring. Like, so yeah. Boring. But if you want, actually, if you want another translation for throwing shade, you can say kabbusam, like literally, which, translate, which the exact translation means through poison. Yeah. A bit some, yeah. So let me ask you a question while uh, Ed Hilal is trying to get to the rest. Uh, RuPaul, how is he perceived? Do you, do you see him as like, is it too commercialized or did it? Okay, I'm really glad that you asked that question actually because I feel like the new, like I'm not going to discredit anyone, but I feel like the new trendy thing or like the new avant-garde thing is to discredit RuPaul and Drag Race and whatever, but I can never deny the impact Drag Race has done. Love it or hate it, love RuPaul or hate him, he's done a lot, and Drag Race has done a lot, a lot for the drag community and the LGBT community. And I'm not going to deny that I drew a lot of inspiration from Drag Race. I found out about drag, drag, like the, the whole concept of drag from Drag Race. I'm not going to be like, oh, I, I watched this documentary at the film forum, which we don't have a film forum in Lebanon, but like, and, and I discovered, I like just wound up knowing about drag no I, I found out about drag through drag race the only thing I would say however is like on the other side of the coin is 
it did become drag race kind of homogenized drag and it's like they kind of put drag in a box and it's like if you don't do this you're not doing drag and you should do this and this and this don't take your wig off while you're lip syncing don't uh, tuck uh, put nails on do this and this and that which is really cool now that the I'm sorry, I'm spoiler, spoiler alert. With Evie Oddly winning the last season of Drag Race, I think she's kind of cracking the mold a bit. Drag Race in Lebanon is perceived in a good way. There's a lot of uh, Drag Race fans, but a lot of people who come to our shows who are not, let's say, drag, they're, they're Drag Race fans. They're not drag fans. Okay, so like all their info is from Drag Race. So basically, we'd get off stage after busting our ass for like an hour, an hour and a half. And they're like, oh, I love what you did, but I don't think you're wearing a lace front. And I'm like, that's never been said to me because I'll cut someone of that title. <laughs> but, but, uh, no. Have I met Tasia? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, and then they like, they comment on the most random, minuscule details that like they know about because some queen from Drag Race talked about. So that's the only negative impact. But if you compare it to the, all, the, all the positive that's been happening, it's, not nothing that's mentioned and nothing that you can trip over while we are on the topic i need to shout out to michelle visage because she retweeted the queer arabs Word. podcast yeah 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 so thank you michelle <laughs> follow me on insta michelle so uh i don't know if you already talked about this but uh how what have you been where have you been performing like what have you what is your your social calendar been like you know we used to have the lebanese mafia social calendar so what is the emigration social calendar how about you also tell us about your dating life? How was that impacted? <laughs> or is that is that a fair question? No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I was just talking about jerking off, so I think everything everything everything's fair. On the on the topic on the topic of dating and drag, what's really crazy in the most positive way is Lebanese gay men and all their machismo and like all their let's say mask for mask bullshit. It's funny because there has never been an incident where like, oh no, I don't want to go out with you or I don't want to hook up with you because you do drag. It's weird because there's never been any education on it or any like talk about it, but a lot of them do know how to separate between drag is not who you are, it's something you do, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can separate between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, um, they're not hung up on it. You know, and they're very, they're very cool about it. They're very, they're like, they know how much strength it takes to, to, to do drag. And some people are drawn by it because uh, of like the strength and the whatever. And the social calendar, what Hilal just asked, I don't have one actually. I'm just, perf I'm performing tomorrow at uh, the Labmash uh, brunch. But wait, if, if I talk about this by, by the time it comes out, it wouldn't make sense, right? Okay, well, ever since ever, all right, ever since I got to New York, I went to the Halim fundraiser, performed there. Shout out to Halim and Tariq Zaidan and all the work they're doing. If, uh, if the listeners are not aware, Halim is basically an LGBT organization as well in Lebanon. They do great work. They have a community center, and the people there are amazing. I've been running in heels all over the city, just making a fool out of myself. <laughs> That's part of my social calendar. I'm doing this podcast with the Queer Arab podcast. And tomorrow is going to be the biggest day of my drag career thus far. I'm going to be, I'm going to be waking up at like 6 or 7 a.m. to get in drag, for, to perform at a, the Labmash Pride Brunch, which is hosted by the same person who's hosting us today, Omar Fatal. Omar, would you rather, would you, rather you not be mentioned? Or? Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. 
so the uh, Pride brunch tomorrow by Labmash and Omar Fattal, who, are, who is so generous to host us today to record this uh, podcast. After that, we're going to march on the streets, which is going to be my first Pride parade ever. And oh. yeah, wow. it's, yeah, we don't have Pride marches in Lebanon. I mean, it goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then at night, we're all going to get fucked up at Color Me Queer. In the United States, the drag scene is often like a way for trans, perform- trans people to p- support themselves because, you know, being trans kind of helps. How big is the trans crossover in the drag scene in Lebanon? As far as I know, there is one trans uh, drag queen in Lebanon, and her name is Sasha Elijah. She's fucking fierce. She is fucking fierce. She's always at the ball. She's, she always wins everything. Whenever she walks in, we're like, okay, maybe next time. <laughs> she, she's amazing. She does all these crazy stunts, fl- flips, splits, everything, and she's amazing. She's been featured. I'm pretty sure if you Google her, a lot of stuff will come up. Is she here right now? No, she's oh. not. She's not here yet, right now. And on the topic of, uh, like, Sasha, I'd like to give a shout-out, if that's okay with you, to, like, some of, the, some of my drag family yes. in Lebanon who actually, <laughs> they, they lent me a lot of shit to take with me. So, like, there's Latiza Bombay. I don't know if you've <laughs> heard of her. Latiza Bombay, Robin Hose, Demetria Corsi, Anissa Krana. Uh, <laughs> uh, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah, so let's do that. Okay, so Latiza Bombay is basically, Tiza means us. They don't know, they should learn. Latiza Bombay's name is a pun, which means uh, her ass is round, Tiza Bombay. (laughs) And it's a play on uh, Queen Latifah, so Latiza. Robin Hose goes without saying it's English, so I can't translate. Uh, it means it means uh, it means I'm shramit. Anissa Krana literally translate to I'm translate to I'm drunk. Uh, Demetria Korsi is just her name. She likes corseting. Uh, there is obviously Kaukab Zuhal, which is uh, a hu- what is a huge support system to me, uh, and all the other queens who've been who come to the shows. Yeah, of course. My mom and uh, my mom and Khalto goes without saying. Anya and Devita, they're a, a huge shout out to them. Oh, something I forgot to mention is we went from having like three to four drag queens in Beirut to now, I think the last the last time we counted it was like fifty drag queens in Beirut. Yeah, yeah. It's like it goes with like drag queens, queer performers, all of that. It's like fifty to fifty-five. Yeah. What, um, so you mentioned like other performers. What about drag kings? And um, can you talk a little bit about? Is it mostly just Lebanese? Are there is there other gender bending or what? Do you, what kind of other performances are, have you seen? Beirut in itself is a very it's a small city in comparison to other places. The drag scene in Beirut is very diverse. Like you can see, as we said, trans queens. There's club kids. There's vulgars. There is a bio queen one. Drag kings. The drag kings are, they are not very visible, which we would love for them to be more visible. They do come out every once in a while. Uh, last year there was an event and it was drag. It's a, it was a drag king show. But I don't know if they're still doing it, if they stop. But I would love to see more drag kings. I, would, I was actually looking for a drag king to like put, put on a show with. But it's not very visible. Like they're not, I know one drag king who's on Instagram. Other than that, they're not like as visible as the drag queens or as the other performers. They don't have like Instagram, Instagram accounts and whatever. It's very, very diverse. Like you can see monstrous, crazy, fucked up drag. We're very inspired by the Brooklyn drag scene, which is like very out there, uh, in your face, irreverent. Is that the word? Yeah. 
and you could also see like the polished textbook drag queen, which is in itself a, a great thing. So we're like we're like drawing inspirations from here and there, things we watch on TV, things we see online, and other queens who come to Lebanon. Like uh, there has been a couple of uh, not a couple. There has been almost a big group of uh, drag race queens who had who had come to Lebanon. I can talk about that if you if you want. So to name a few, there. Uh, Alaska, uh, Laganja, Pearl, Violet Chachki, and my all-time favorite, Sasha Velour, came to Lebanon. Yeah, and most recently we had Is She Hungry? I don't know if you guys uh, know her. Is she, oh my God, it's, pause the podcast. Is She Hungry is one of the fucking fiercest she's drag queens. Swedish, right? she's, I don't know if she's Swedish, she's Scandinavian, but she, she's based in Berlin. Oh, she's Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she's amazing. For, yeah, so most, re- most recently we had Is She Hungry come to Lebanon and she did this amazing performance. Everyone's jaw dropped. She's one of the best queens I've ever seen. She's amazing. So last chance to give out any shout outs or plug your Instagram or whatever you want to do right now. So again, thank you guys for having me. This has been a magical week so far. Hopefully everything goes well tomorrow. Uh, I don't fall off the float or whatever. Uh, yeah. And... I really want to give out a shout out to all the all the people who are back in Beirut fighting the fight and struggling and trying to make it try to say this without like getting choked up or whatever but like it's very it's it's especially coming here on Pride week it's very bittersweet to see all I'm happy. I'm happy to see all of these people happy and like expressing their queerness and whatever. But it also makes me sad because we don't get to do that back home. We get to do it on the very down low. So shout out to those people who are trying to do everything with so many limitations. My family back home, I love you so much. Thank you for the wigs, the contact lenses and all the makeup. Uh, I'll be back soon. Oh, by the time you're, you're, you'll be hearing this, I'll probably be back, be back yeah. with you. And thank you to my growing family here. Thank you so much for you guys. I feel, I feel very honored to be with you. And hopefully tomorrow we'll have so much fun. And last but not least, follow me on my fucking Instagram. It's, it's M's got to go. All right? And she got to go right now. Yeah. Does anyone in the room have any questions real quick? I have a question right. personally just because I'm a makeup novice and I also sweat a lot and was just looking for like, I mean like I Google and I look for tips and stuff but like most of it is for people who kind of already know what they're doing or like girls who it's kind of assumed like someone in their life has is there to help them or whatever but not like me who is completely new, is an adult and has like no like i can't like ask my mom for help and shit you know like and i'm not like all my friends are busy we're all busy i can't just be like yo sarah be my makeup teacher like we're gonna set up lessons so like do you have like a resource or tips or like how did you get good at it we were talking about this a bit ago the way i my makeup journey happened is i used to look busted as fuck at first like really bad and then um I, I watch a lot of makeup tutorials before I go to bed, yeah. like either regular makeup tutorials or like drag queen makeup tutorials. Yeah. And honestly, though, no matter how many tips and tricks you are, people tell you, yeah. it's all about trial and error because yeah. you need to try it, go out, sweat it out, see what works for you and whatever. And I'm crossing my fingers because I've been doing this for a, for a while now yeah. and my eyebrows are like my my downfall because yeah. I sweat a lot so like the glue would get wet and my eyebrows would like yeah, get yeah, fucked yeah. up but I got some prose and hopefully tomorrow that would work inshallah 
uh, yeah, like um, trial and error, basically, because because uh, no matter uh, one thing as well, no matter how many tips you are taught, it's your face. So you need to get comfortable with your face and like know what works, because what might work on my face might not work on your face, yeah. like contouring and like an eye shape and whatever. So, yeah. I mean, I've basically been doing that. I've just been doing Rihanna tutorials and just trying it in the bathroom before yeah. I take a shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to comment that your uh, your eyebrows, Emma's eyebrows are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. they're really on point. Thank yeah. you. Um, so, part of Thought of NYC and uh, invited you. And we want to know what you think the role of diaspora organizations should be when it comes to supporting our men of queer activists uh, and uh, drag queens and performers and artists and people. First of all, shout out to Tarab and thank you for the invite. This wouldn't have happened without you guys. I think the I think the organizations such as Tarab and other organizations that are based outside, first and foremost, I think exposure, like spreading the word on the work that's been happening because you better than anyone would know what it feels like to be in a country like, let's say, Lebanon, for example, as opposed to I'm not get, like all exposure. It might be good to a certain point, but we've had some bad exposure and some bad media. Like some, sorry for a head, some like white reporter coming to Beirut and like we've ha we've literally had a we've had an article and it starts off about drag in Lebanon and it starts off from the land of sand and ca camels. <laughs> I am not fucking kidding. I am not fucking kidding. And this person has been in Beirut. And it's funny because uh, they're, they're like very detached from everything. They just come just for the clickbaity. Oh, it's like a parody. Literally, it's, it's, it's so detached. It's so, it dehumanizes us. It kind of fetishizes the whole Arab queer thing. So like for organizations like Tadab, you know you have a better input on, on things that we're doing. So I think telling our story, but with your words, would help spread the message in a better way. Right. Journalists can be Journalists idiots. are horrible. Yeah. So, you know what, episode idea. Next time, maybe we should just like react, get all those great episodes and just read them out and, you know, deal some salt. Oh, this was so amazing. You're so amazing. You are. Aww. Everyone, enjoy the episode. Or I hope you enjoyed it. Bye.